0: Things, all true crime related from a police perspective. Hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell so you will get all things duty Ron when I go live and when I upload another video. Tonight we're going to be talking about Chris Watts. We're going to also talk about Chris Watts and his housing over at the Dodge Correctional Facility. As you guys know, in August of 2018, Christopher Watts annihilated his entire family, his wife, his unborn son, and his two beautiful daughters. He did that and was charged some days later, three or four days later, 821 of 18, he was charged with murders of his wife, his unborn son, and his two daughters. Guys, again, I want to say a special thank you to my Patreon supporters, my channel members, and all folks who positively interact in the Duty Ron family. If you like this video, please consider giving a thumbs up and sharing it out onto your social media platform. I do have three really special guests. I'll introduce them after I show a little bit of media. But what I wanna set up and show for you guys tonight is the progression of what happened to Chris Watts when he was arrested, when he was brought to jail, and then when he was put into prison, we will speak to our guests they are all correction professionals, and they will give us an inside look. They'll give us an inside look to the day-to-day of Chris Watts. And you know what? Between you and I, folks, by a show of hands here, who is on board with me that Chris Watts doesn't deserve one good day? He doesn't deserve one good day in his life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hope and pray, and I'm hoping that we'll get some confirmation from some of my guests that are joining me. Here tonight, uh, on his condition of what he has to do on a day to day basis and some of the conditions that he's going to be obviously housed in as well. So, let me get this right up for you guys so you can see what I'm talking about. This is going to be footage from the police officer right at the local police station where he confessed to the CBI, to Tammy, where he confessed and where they uh, turn around and put him in handcuffs. So we're going to watch him be placed in handcuffs right after he confessed the murder, and then we will show the progression of where he goes from there. This is the interview room. I'm going to have you face that wall for a minute. This is a travel belt they're putting on and We used to use this all the time when we picked people up from uh, institutions and jails. And... Okay, come on, to this as well.
1: Wall you. I'm just going to search here real quick. Stretch your legs. Further. Okay, turn off this thing. No earrings, necklaces, anything like that?
0: So now they're placing him into the patrol car and he will now go to central booking uh, the next piece of media is gonna be when he comes into cent- central booking and we will um, just quickly show you um, just a little piece of this this is long and I don't think you guys need to see all of it but I want you to see where he goes from there and this is gonna tie into what my guests are gonna talk to you guys about the command and control of corrections when Chris Watts goes into his housing unit. I'm gonna back it up a little bit because this is when he's already in. I'm gonna show you as they bring him in. don't want me to play this it's not playing (laughs) all right so this is uh, I'll keep it on still and I'll move it forward they walked him in here uh, essentially from the street from the car they walked them in and um, he he basically just gets screened Uh, this woman here is from the medical um, probably uh, from medical and they screen him they book him in they take his fingerprints uh, the, he's looking at his hands right here. He's going over to wash the fingerprints off, and there is uh, a tactical guy here with some type of maybe a rubber bullet gun. I'll ask my guests about that. He follows him around. Here's a deputy that is directing him in and out of the uh, out of the bathroom. So it's basically simple procedure. I don't know why this isn't playing. And then he goes from here after his confession to um, to jail. Uh, basically, His next thing that we're going to show is the judge officially charging him. Um, So let's look at this quick. This is the end of what I want to show you. Hopefully it works. So the court has
2: considered the arguments made by the attorneys. The court has considered the statements made by the victims in this case. Uh, the court's going to find that the plea agreement is fair and reasonable under the circumstances <clears throat> I want to acknowledge the Rusick family as well as the Watts family that, um, showing mercy on Mr. Watts is understood. Uh, and I respect that decision to request that the district attorney not seek the death penalty in this case. So, the court is going to accept this plea bargain under the circumstances. Words that come to mind when I hear the evidence in this case are a senseless crime and the viciousness of the crime. And equally aggravating in this court's determination is the despicable act of disposing of the bodies in the manner in which they were done in this case. I've been a judicial officer now for starting my 17th year and I uh, could objectively say that this is perhaps the most uh, inhumane and vicious crime that I have handled out of the thousands of cases that I have seen. And nothing less than a maximum sentence um, would be appropriate. And anything less than the maximum sentence would depreciate the seriousness of this offense. So the court is going to sentence Mr. Watts as follows. With regard to count number one, Murder in the first degree as it relates to Shanann Watts. The court is going to sentence you, sir, to uh, a life sentence in the Colorado Department of Corrections, followed um, with no possibility of parole. And that is going to run consecutively to all but counts three and four. With regard to count two as it relates to murder in the first degree with Bella, the court is going to sentence you to life in the Colorado Department of Corrections with no possibility of parole. With regard to count number three, the court is going to sentence you as it relates to Celeste, to life in the Colorado Department of Corrections with no possibility of parole. With regard to counts four and five relating to Bella and Celeste as a different theory of first degree murder, the court is going to sentence you to life in the Colorado Department of Corrections and legally, those sentences must run concurrently as a different theory of first degree murder. Recognizing, um, the unlawful termination of pregnancy for the unborn child that has been named Nico, the court absolutely believes that the maximum sentence of 48 years would be appropriate to run consecutive to the other charges with an additional mandatory parole period of three years as set forth by statute with regard to count number seven, as it relates to tampering with a deceased body, as well as counts eight and nine, each a class three felony. The court is going to impose a maximum sentence of 12 years each for those counts to run consecutively to the other counts. The court is going to order that statutory fees be paid, and court cause, the court's gonna grant the prosecution 91 days to file a notice of restitution. And that will be the sentence of the court. We will shortly be in recess. I would respectfully ask the parties that uh, you remain in your seat. There is a plan by the deputies on allowing people to exit the courtroom. So please remain seated until you are authorized to leave the courtroom
0: based on the direction of the deputies. Okay, Uh, I think that was enough. And I wanted to basically show you guys the process from handcuffs to central booking and the lockup to court, and now to sentencing and going into, department of corrections again i want to say i always talk about the families of the victims the victims and their families is what we pay respects to and this this is what this is about this is about showing the general public and everyone that these heinous monsters like chris watts they don't deserve the they don't deserve the time of day from us to continue to talk about what they did to their victims, what they deserve is to rot in jail and not have a good day, not one good day. And in my world, it would be a little different because what the Ruseks did by sidestepping the death penalty, which would have been on the plate and what he would have gotten in this case, he's able to breathe and and coexist in a controlled environment. So I give them uh, a lot of credit and, uh, and send strength and positive vibes to Mr. and Mrs. Rusek, uh Frankie, Jr., um, the entire family. I, I send them my love and respect and prayers. Um, but I want you guys, the viewers, to see the now suffering that Chris Watts, through his sentence, has to endure. Prison is no Joke, and it's not a fun place to be, and it shouldn't be. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my first guest. Uh, his name is Keith Helwick. He's a 40-year police and corrections veteran. He's currently a uh, active police officer in his home community and around town in two separate departments. Keith is retired from the corrections department. He was corrections captain, and he served at the Dodge Correctional Facility in Wisconsin, where Chris Watts is housed. Uh, Keith, your mic is muted. I want to welcome you to the live stream. Thank you so much, Captain, for coming on and spending time with us to talk about Chris Watts. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, you know, I,
1: I'm talking about Chris Watts or any high-profile inmate. They're, they're all pretty, pretty much the same when they come into the system. Now you'll notice in the uh, sentencing, he was sentenced to the Colorado Department of Corrections. However, he's serving his time in the Wisconsin Department of Corrections under an interstate compact. This happens quite frequently when there's a high-profile inmate whose life is in danger if they stay in their home facility. Uh, Chris Watts is housed in the same unit as a man named Chris Coleman, who also murdered his family. Uh, There was national prominence because he was the bodyguards for Evangelist and he thought he'd get fired because he the entire you know, an affair, so he liked out his entire family. Wow. So Chris Watts and Chris Coleman are in the same unit. Now, I, I doubt if they're salvaged, I don't
0: know. I don't have any for Quickly, before we get into this, I want you to just explain to the audience some of your correctional experience there at the um, Dodge Correctional Facility. How much time you spent there? You don't have to give the years, but... Uh, and the ranks that you held. So this way, the folks who are just joining, Keith is a retired captain, uh, corrections captain from the Wisconsin Department of Corrections. But just let them know uh, what you did when you started out, and, and you know the jobs that you had within the Dodge Correctional Facility.
1: Sure. Well, I started out when God was a kid. I started in 1977 working in a medium security institution, and I started out as an officer. And I worked my way up to sergeant at another institution. Then I promoted to lieutenant. I promoted to captain. I was a captain for about 10 years at a medium security institution and I burned out so I quit and I went to the sheriff's department and I rose up to the rank of lieutenant in the sheriff's department retired from there and I was bored so I went back to corrections. I was hired at the Dodd correctional institution as a captain based on my previous experience. Uh, Well in corrections I was in charge of a hostage extraction team. At one point, I was a sniper team leader. I was a crisis negotiator, a firearms chemical agents instructor. Just a lot of different hats, but my career spanned 36 years, so there's was of wow. no time to put on those hats.
0: How many years were you in the Dodge Correctional? I was in Dodge a little over 10 years. So a decade in a maximum security facility. When was that facility built, and uh, what was it originally um, used for? The facility was originally built
1: in 1913, and it was a Central State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Uh, One of the most famous inmates there was Ed Gein. I don't know if you ever heard of Ed Gein, but he was the basis for Hannibal Lecter. He was the basis for Psycho and things of that nature. It remained a hospital for the Criminally Insane until I believe around 1980. And at that time, uh, they phased out the hospital for the Criminally Insane, and they started adding on to the buildings. And... The institution is as of around the mid 80s, I believe. The other half
0: of the institution is from 1913. Uh, That's the half of the institution where uh, high profile offenders are housed. Wow. Uh, So originally started out as a mentally institution for mentally insane prisoners, right? And then then converted into the maximum uh, security facility. Dodge is a huge facility. I, I looked at the overview of it, but before we get into all of that, um, we're all here to hear about uh, Chris Watts. I'm going to introduce my next two guests. Uh, they are return customers here to the Crime Time with Duty Ron. Uh, Anthony Ganji is a the host of uh, Tear Talk, and he is also an administrative side of corrections, a corrections expert. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you back. Uh, Thanks for
3: having us again. And thank you guys for. (laughs) (laughs) Some background noise there from
0: Keith. Yeah, yeah, that was from Keith. Uh, It's it's always always great to have you back. Um, You know, the the audience from the last show loved your input. And um, we're going to get into speaking about the handling. And I'm going to leave it up to you and Keith to do some of the heavy lifting on uh, Chris Watts. But my next guest is um, a shining star, Um, Connie Eileen. She taught me how to say her last name the right way. Um, She is a 10-year veteran of New York City Department of Corrections, Rikers Island. She spent five years in Connecticut State Prison, um, 20 years in the health service in corrections, uh, and she runs the Civilian Corrections Academy. Connie, thank you so much for taking out the time on your... Wednesday evening to spend with Crime Time and with you So thank you.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so glad to be back with your audience because they were very good to me last time. So all the welcomes, all the everything, I appreciate it. And I look forward to talking about this one today.
0: Yeah. Um, Connie, you are a
4: fan favorite, hands down.
0: You meet me, Anthony and Keith. We could just leave the screen on with Hello. you. We could Just go in the back and you could take over the show. Uh, Please let my audience know your side of corrections, what you do. I'm going to go solo layout with you. Let everybody know what you do on the civilian side for uh, Department of Corrections.
4: Sure. So um, I was that civilian that didn't go through an academy training. So I created an academy for non-uniformed employees to make sure that they have a safe and successful career in corrections. We touch on so many things that are relative to corrections, but really to make sure that civilian employees understand what their responsibility is, what their role is, and not even so much just how to do their job, but how do they engage safely with the inmate population.
0: Yeah, that's an important aspect of the acclimation of new inmates coming in. Uh, You know, getting screened for mental health and physical health is an important thing because you have someone that's coming into a facility that has mental health issues it's kind of like you guys are kind of like the first line of defense for that you know you're doing those important screenings and a lot of people roll their eyes when they're going through the process the inmates uh, potentials you know they're like I gotta answer all these questions but it's an important part of the system to make it safe for the COs and for the population general population you want to talk about a little bit of your career to give the audience just a little bit of background on you? You're muted. We can't hear you.
3: I got about 20 years in. I started at a female facility. I was an officer there. I was a sergeant at a maximum security facility, which is actually a little bit older than Keats' facility. It was uh, 1863, I think mine was uh, built. And then uh, now I'm on the administrative end. Uh, I kind of deal with helping out with the programming and stuff like that, other obviously with other responsibilities. And then on the side I I advocate for the profession as well. I try to give people um, the truth uh, from from the staff's perspective. I think a lot of people tend to kind of believe the myths. So what I do now is just to give people a sense of reality and maybe a,
0: a balance. Yeah, that's the you know, that's awesome that you do that. And I like that you go on to, um, you know, various media outlets in the news and you talk about, you know, the positive aspects of what corrections officers do for the inmate population. It's always, you know, as long with police and corrections side, we always get kind of, we get the bad end of the stick. We always get the, you know, fingers pointed and things of that nature. But let's get into the meat and potatoes of this. Um, so quickly, Chris Watts was... Uh, transferred and arrived at the Dodge Correctional Facility a short time after he was sentenced to these life terms. Uh, Keith, I wanna touch with you on this. He was sentenced and then um, just two months later, a little bit over two months on December 5th, he was sent out to actually December 3rd. I know all of my statisticians will come at me with this. December 3rd, 2018, he was transferred out of uh, Colorado and sent over to the Dodge Correctional Facility. What was the reason behind that, uh, Keith? Why and um, how does that get set up? Well, Wisconsin
1: has an interstate compact with uh, with several states, Colorado being one of them. That if they have a high-profile inmate who's in danger, they can send them to Wisconsin. And Dodge is the main receiving institution in the state of Wisconsin. So under that interstate compact, that's why we uh, that's why they received Chris Watts. Now his arrival there, I'm sure, was pretty low key. You know, you don't want people to know that he's traveling cross country. You don't want people to know when he's coming in. So it's all kept on the down low when they when they do a transfer like this.
0: Was he was he trans, uh, was one of the reasons he was transported there or transferred there uh, because the inmate population, because of the intense media and the intensity of his criminal acts, i.e., wiping out his whole family. Was that in the decision making of why he was transferred from Colorado to Wisconsin because of death threats from inmates. And it was also reported that the actual COs that worked at that facility, not that they were going to kill him, but they didn't like him at all. Can you speak on that? What happened when these folks come in that commit these heinous crimes?
1: I guess, you know, it's understandable that they would move them out of their community because they are so notorious. I mean, everybody there knew all the facts of Chris Watts in Colorado. Uh, Shipping off to Wisconsin, you know, which is a thousand miles away, people may know a little bit about it, but they don't know the know the heinous acts that he actually committed. They know he's a murderer. They know he killed his family. But they really don't know
0: the, the ins and outs of it as they do in Colorado. So, right. he he's a little more anonymous. Right. But, I mean, I can't help but uh, mention this. I, I, you know, prisoners are able to watch TV, and some of the guys who are not, let's, you know, let's say he's there since 2018. So, if someone is now a new admission in 2021, they know all about Chris Watts because you can't even turn on the TV and not see a Netflix series, a. Uh, Dr. Phil, uh, you know, Nancy Gray, everybody's talking about this guy. So talk about the Dodge Correctional Facility and what they provide that, uh, you know, they're a maximum security facility, but they're there to take in these high-profile prisoners, correct? That is correct. Uh, Now, the vast majority, I would
1: say 99.9% of the high-profile inmates are housed in the same unit right now these are they call them general population inmates these are inmates that are going to be there for a long time these are inmates that aren't aren't looking at parole tomorrow they aren't looking at an easy way out of prison uh majority of them there are are lifers you know And unless they're a lawyer or a judge or someone else who's committed a crime they're there for their own safety the majority of them are in there for very violent crimes uh You know, they all know what he did, and he probably knows what they did as well. So it's kind of a, you know, a a quid pro quo. You know, you you don't bug me, I don't bug you, that kind of thing. Uh, Right. As far as the staff interaction with them, you know, most people don't realize that the person that that an inmate has the most contact with on a daily basis is the correctional officer. Now, I know one of the questions I've heard asked is, you know, what does staff think when somebody like that comes in? a lot of times, staff doesn't want to know why an inmate's there. They don't have to deal with the inmate, the criminal. They have to deal with the inmate, the person. And that's who they have to deal with on a daily basis. Now, as a captain, of course, I had all the inside scoop on the, the, the dirty on, on every inmate in there, If I wanted to look it up. And there were times I did because of security risks and things of that nature. But a lot of officers don't want to know why they're there. Now, the officers that work at UNF know that their people that are there are there for some type of heinous crime, but they're very professional in the way they treat those people. They treat them no differently than they treat any other
0: inmate. I'm going to show the media about uh, Chris Watts, and this is recent, and it's going to tell a little bit about um, current, what's going on with him. So if you guys can grin and bear with me, Keith, if you could just mute your mic for a second, I'm going to play this quickly. Hopefully this cooperates with us and works.
5: literally speaks with Chris Watts, the Colorado man who is serving a life sentence for killing his pregnant wife and two young daughters, tells people that he is currently A source who regularly speaks with Chris Watts, the Colorado man who is serving a life sentence for killing his pregnant wife and two young daughters, tells people that he is currently ostracized while behind bars. The source says that no one wants anything to do with Watts and that he's on the lowest social tier of the entire prison. The source adds that Watts, who turned 36 years old on Sunday, is an outcast even among prisoners. He has to be kept in protective custody because his life could be in danger if he is around other individuals. The source goes on to say that even the guards shun him, adding that he could go days without talking to anyone because he is, quote, probably the most hated person in the prison. The source explains that Watts' conviction of killing his children is the cause for the rejection. In prison, if someone is charged with hurting or killing children, they are on the bottom of the pecking order. On August 13th of 2018, Watts strangled his wife Shanann in their Colorado home. He then drove her body to a job site at the oil company where he worked. He buried Shanann's body and then smothered his four-year-old daughter Bella and three-year-old daughter Celeste. On November 6th of that same year, he pled guilty to multiple counts of first-degree murder.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Uh, I'm going to bring on Anthony quickly. Uh, let me get you, Anthony, on here. And what's your what's your take on that last clip that I just played? Um, are these the most hated inmates? Do the officers despise these guys? I know you guys have a job to do. Are the inmates... They, do they despise and go after child killers? We need to, we need to address that. You know, to be honest with you, I mean, even though this case got
3: the attention of the media, there's probably worse cases in there. It just happens to be that this case got the attention. Also, uh, on a side note, this is what a concern could be. The guys inside the prison, the media is still continuing to put a story out there. So now we're struggling trying to protect the inmate, you know, as they reveal these details. And and, this, and the other thing is this guy has direct access to the media because there's an interest in his case. So now our job is to protect him. So for people that, uh, we'll start with custody first, custody is going to be professional with their dealings with him 100%. They know what their role is now. Now they go from uh, this inmate has to be protected both from himself and from the other inmates who may look to claim on to that, Fame, but you know it, it becomes tough because we have to manage the inmate amongst this chaos of of media that makes it harder. Because again, they release something else out there, and then the inmate could become the most hated. And 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 the funny thing is, is even just now by them saying he's is is he the most hated inmate?
0: How reliable is the source? Right, and that that's uh, I was thank you for bringing that up. Um, again, these sources are it, it could range from anybody from. Someone within the facility that works there, civilian or or correction officer, or it could be someone who was released, or it could be someone that spent time or visited somebody and said, oh, this, this, and this. So the media, their job is to vet their sources, but we all know that they got a story to put out there. At the end of the day, nobody likes to hear that the corrections are protecting this guy, that the correction officer are protecting this guy, but that is part of the system. It's part of the job. It's part of our Constitution. You know, you're afforded uh, an attorney. You're innocent until proven guilty. But once you're proven guilty and you're convicted and it, the judge says take charge, guess who's taking charge? The corrections department. And they're responsible for every bit of that person's well-being. Um, you know, like You could see on uh, that video you showed with him going through the court, you could see the
3: anxiety. So, you know, right off the bat. Uh, he's definitely going to have to get put on some constant watch because you have a guy that lived life up top. Now right. reality kicks in. You've been sentenced. Now everything drops, you know. And we have to be able to manage him through those impulses of, I want to take my life one day. You don't
0: know, right. right? And it's the job of the correctional officers on that particular pod or or uh, tier where he's being held to make sure he doesn't do that. Uh, let me say quickly hello to some of the folks in the chat. Hello, Joe Murray. That is my good friend and criminal defense attorney. Jennifer Nobles from Bakersfield, California. Uh, she's a great friend of mine. Uh, we have those uh, the, the, the bond from putting up the signs for uh, the digital billboards for our boys, Orin and Orson West. I'm going to talk about that in another video soon. Um, but yes, thank you, to, uh, Jen, for being here. Hello, Yelfa. Good to see you, Emerald, Emerald Kimmy. Haven't seen you in a while. Moonlight View, thank you so much. Let me know where you're watching, city, state, and country. And if you're new, please put new in the chat so I could say hello to you quickly. And we're going to have a quick 10-minute, 15-minute Q&A at the end of this, so you will want to stand by uh, for the Q&A. Connie, I'm going to go to you now. I want to ask a quick question for you, Connie. Um, when a, a high-profile inmate that just got sentenced to five-life, Um, sentences knows he's never going to get out what type of special handling with the intake on a a high-profile guy like this is there anything special or is it the same
4: so understandably there are certain you know concerns that are raised because of his profile but the standard of care remains the same whether it's a medical assessment or a mental health assessment We do a thorough assessment on anyone who comes through those doors to ensure that they're medically safe and mentally safe. And based on the findings in that assessment, we would then set up their care plan or whatever that path to keep them safe is. We would put that in place. So specifically, you know, once he goes through medical and we find that there's nothing medically wrong with him, no medical support needed, We then go through the mental health assessment, at which point he's connected to a psychiatrist, probably a psychologist, as well as a social worker. And they would create this interdisciplinary treatment team to make sure that they're keeping him safe. But there are certain standards in place in general. So for the first 72 hours, that individual will be under observation. And certainly with that um, sentence that he just got and knowing he's really having that bottom drop from under him, he would most likely end up on a constant watch. Um, and then once he's reevaluated, you know, they will make the determination as to what is the best path forward for him.
0: And Connie, uh, thank you for that. That is great information. What type of, um, we see some of these inmates come out, and and it's probably not uh, so much when they're going to prison, but some of these guys that are coming out for their court hearings or for some photographs, we see them in that green breakaway vest. Can you talk about who authorizes that and how does that whole situation start? I think it starts with you guys, no?
4: So usually, once there is an assessment, and if they, If there's risk for suicidality, typically that is the vest that they would put on that person um, because that vest, you can't use it to to hang yourself. And um, it's sewn in a certain way that you couldn't necessarily, you couldn't shred it to use it to do harm to yourself. So those are the safety gowns. Um, I've not seen.
0: um, Some people call it a turtle suit
4: yeah
0: <laughs> is that a slang term connie
4: there's yeah there's tons of names for them but they're they are safety gowns where we try to make sure that they they just can't hurt themselves they're they're still covered and there's still some level of dignity left there right gotcha, gotcha. hey ron okay. if the inmate
3: is uh traveling between facilities so let's say from the jail to the state the vest could also be put on them to protect them their high profile inmate could be a target on them uh, so I don't know if we're talking about the uh, suicide or we're talking about the. Uh, the... No, we're,
0: we're talking about the suicide, the breakaway vest. Um, I, you know, I know us as law enforcement when we have a high-profile guy, we'll we'll take the shittiest vest and we'll slap it on him. One of the ones, the ones that smells like really bad, like smells like, and, and we'll put that on him and we'll send him out in that. But um, that's that's a decision that's made by the commanding officer. That's not a decision that uh, a, a, a small detective like myself would make. The boss would say, hey, we got to make sure that this guy makes it to central booking and makes it to his um, to his uh, arraignment or, you know, whatever. Uh, we don't want him to get shot out in front of the precinct. So uh, we put that vest on, uh, the bulletproof vest on him, when we're ordered to do so. We don't just say, hey— we want to protect you guy. Uh, We're going to put this vest on you. Our boss tells us to do it. So um, that's how it goes. I was just trying to get at with you, Connie, is that do you guys get the ball rolling when you feel someone needs to be housed in the um, suicide vest? Is that like a a recommendation?
4: Yeah. So typically um, once they're escalated to a certain level of care, that's just part of the process. The, um, the gown is placed on, and then they're placed into that watch status.
0: Uh, retired, retired Captain Helwick, uh, quickly, I mean, you were there in Dodge. How many of how many of the inmates, these are all high-profile guys, how many of them come in and have psych problems or claim the psych problem or uh, get that suicide vest put on them?
1: Well, generally, when a high-profile inmate comes in, they're placed in observation status, which is a... Last front secured cell. They're under observation 24 hours a day. Staff have to check on them every 15 minutes. Uh, They're given a psychological evaluation upon entry into the institution uh, at Dodds Institution when you have a complete psychiatric care center there. So they're evaluated, and uh, if they show no problems, that they're not going to be a danger to themselves or a danger to others, they may spend time, as uh, as Chris Watts did, it's called a special manager. And there, again, it's a unit where they can keep a little closer eye on people. Right.
0: They're monitored every 15 minutes. Right. So they're basically almost babysat, like they're little infants. They're watched and checked on every 15 minutes. A guy like Chris Watts comes into that facility, and the number one, uh, well, one of the main concerns is to make sure he doesn't get killed while in custody, right? I want you to talk briefly about the... Um, severity of what happens to the low-lying corrections officer who's on that tier and the boss is going up the line, if God forbid something like that was to happen.
1: Well, I know on uh, my shift we had a young man who was 19 years old who had been a suicide risk at the county jail. He came to our facility was an observation for a few days, and he did up hanging himself on my shift. Uh, we immediately called in a local outside investigator comes to the scene before we even remove the body from the cell. They come to the scene, they evaluate the scene, they also have a medical examiner that comes on scene. Uh, I, have to, I direct every staff member who was involved, whether they're the
2: person a personal cut of found, whether they're a the personal component, the person who gave them CPR, whether they're a
1: nurse, uh, whether they're a correctional officer, regardless of what their capacity is, they have to write up the full and complete report. I have to compile as a captain, be up to me to compile the reports and make my own report. I also have to notify the ward, uh, the department secretary. You know, a suicide in prison isn't something that's taken lightly. It, it, it affects a lot of people. You know, and then, of course, there's a family notification that has to be made. And it, it's, it's a lot of paperwork. It's, you know, one of the things I always did a lot of stress on officer. You know, the, the one I had it occurred on the third shift. There was there was a new officer that found it. This officer had probably been there less than a year. It's right. the first time he'd ever seen a traumatic gun. So we do a debriefing with the staff to make sure the staff is all okay. right.
0: Okay. Yeah, and you know, again, um that's valuable information because most of the folks who are watching and there's close to six hundred and twenty people watching this live stream right now. Most of the folks that are here just hear what they hear on Facebook and, you know, on social media. uh, And they don't quite understand the responsibility that is put on to and bestowed on to corrections officers. Um, Most of us look at these heinous criminals and say, I hope they die in prison. I hope uh, the corrections turns their back and lets somebody beat the hell out of them and give them the jailhouse justice. Um, You know, again, Tempers, flare. people are pissed off because this is a guy who annihilated his family. And as you guys said, we see so many of these folks come through. Uh, You guys see so many of them that come through um, that, you know, your job is not to evaluate what each individual uh, inmate did, uh, but you're there to do your job. And um, the job is to keep them safe and to let them finish their sentence out. Whether that is life until they expire for the rest of their natural born life, or until they're um, released. Um, so, again, Anthony, if you have anything to expand on this part, yes.
3: Yeah, so, in corrections, obviously, we're, our biggest thing is we deal with the actions of others, right? So, the actions of the inmates that would look to do them harm, the action of of what. Uh, sometimes you could have inmates that are put on a suicide watch because mental health deems it to be appropriate. Uh, based on the behaviors of the inmate, like Connie said, 100%. Uh, But uh, we also, administration could also decide to put him on a constant watch, even if mental health said, you know what, Uh, inmate seems to be okay. Administrative could do it based on procedure. The guy just got sentenced, got a lot of time. Let's go ahead and put him on a constant watch. Also, the importance of the cellmate. You know, when an inmate, um, you know, let's say has signs that they're going to be suicidal, maybe impulsive, or just maybe some reasoning that the inmate may want to take their own life, once they're clear from constant watch doesn't mean it's the end. It means that we may have to partner them with an inmate, uh, because that will lessen the likelihood of the person wanting to kill themselves because they have a cellmate. Not that we expect the cellmate to stop the inmate, yep. but the having that person in the cell will maybe deter that behavior or give a, or help staff, you know, to some extent, give some heads up.
0: Yeah, that's a good, that's a good information. I appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Okay. Captain, uh, Captain Helwig quickly. Um, know a lot of folks have been asking and I've been seeing it fly through the chat Um, you know you and I spoke on the phone yesterday Um, I know you're you're retired and you haven't worked at uh, Dodge for a little bit but um, some of the guys some of the I mean I know I still keep in touch with my fellow brothers in blue that I worked with there's a couple that are still hanging on some of them are still hanging on to uh, you know 40 years 38 years on the job um Any of your friends or folks that you speak to maybe at some PBA meetings or, you know, monthly fundraisers that you go to have close contact with Chris Watts and talk about maybe briefly some outline of what his day to day is. Do you know anyone who knows of anything?
1: Well, I do, but uh, Wisconsin has a real
0: liability as far as
1: releasing information on inmates, what I can tell you, that I know is still happening with someone like Chris Watts. Chris Watts day is very structured. Uh, He has to be up by six o'clock in the morning. Uh, There's a count. After count, he goes to breakfast. After breakfast, he goes back to his cell. Uh, Chris Watts is in a unit. It's a general population unit, so he does have a job working in the institution. Now, he may work in the kitchen. He may work in the laundry. Uh, He may be a custodian. You know, they, they People to do those jobs, they're, they're a general population inmate in that unit at Dodge Crescent Institution. They have to have a job, you know. And believe it or not, they get paid for that.
0: They get a between nine cents and 43 cents an hour, depending on the job that they have. So I, would, I would give oh. them, can I give them nine cents, like the lowest amount? I, I don't even like that they get paid and that what goes in their commissary and they can buy stuff with it and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, does this guy get? Visitors on a regular basis. Would he be afforded his mom or dad or sister or girlfriends? And I know a lot of freaks, uh, you know, become groupies of these killers, these vicious killers. What, what goes on with that? I mean, are they, I know COVID had the restrictions, but what what's happening with that?
1: As far as anybody that would want
0: to visit Chris
1: Watts, they would have to be an approved visitor and that has to go through a process uh, where their background is checked. Uh, relationship is checked. Not just anybody can come in and say, hey, I want to see Chris Watts. Uh, If they are on his approved visitor list, yeah, they are allowed visits, up to three times a week. The visits can be up to three hours on weekdays and two hours on weekends. Now, their contact visits, in the effect that, uh, say, a girlfriend visits, he's allowed to embrace her and give her a kiss at the beginning of the visit, and he's seated at a table across from her, and he's allowed to give her an embrace and a kiss at the end of the visit. Now, uh, we're not talking some soul-searching, and spit-swapping, passionate kiss. You know, they're allowed to give a reasonable kiss. But that that's it as far as contact. Before every visit, they're strip-searched. After every visit, they're strip-searched. Now, I don't know how many people have ever had to participate in strip search but it can be a pretty humiliating thing every time you have to do that. It's
0: not a fun thing to do. So for those of you listening in the chat so there's a strip search that happens before and then there's a strip search of the inmate that happens after um so they're allowed to have a hug and a kiss in the beginning and then at the end but there's no groping or hanging on there's no conjugal visits there was word out on the street that bikini clad women were coming up to visit them or sending them pictures and you know mail and everything inside the prison is controlled and checked. So um, I'd like you to speak about bikini clad women coming up to visit Chris Watts.
1: Well, I don't know where they got that story, but that would be totally asinine. Uh, there's a very strict visitors <laughs> policy on a tire. Uh, a, bikini, said after after a bikini wouldn't even make it in the front door.
0: Thank you. Know? you. Thank you, Keith. Uh, Let me bring back all my guests on because uh, Connie and uh, Anthony are chomping at the bit. Uh, let me ask you guys quickly. I mean, you've been in these different facilities. And I'll start with you, Connie. Um, when prisoners or inmates, wherever you are, when you were in Connecticut, you're in, in New York, um, when they have these visitors, um, is, there a, is there a process uh, or a, a, a situation where they have to come through medical First, because people were talking about that and I said, no, there's no, they, that is in the beginning when they're there. But what about while prisoners are there? They get a toothache. They uh, get some kind of communicable disease or whatever. The, how does that process work? Uh,
4: so we, we do have a sick call. So like if a, if an inmate is sick or they're not feeling well or whatever their need is, they have a toothache, they can write and say they want to be seen whether it's for sick call or just they they want to see the doctor, but there's a process for that as well. Um, There is sort of a triage nurse who would assess whatever that inmates needs are, because we can't assume that they're faking. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that healthcare is provided based on their eighth amendment, right? It's not just a feel good mission that we just want to make sure we're taking great care, but it is their eighth amendment, right? to If they're in our custody to be free from cruel and unusual punishment. And so with that said, Mm -hmm. if someone has a toothache and we don't address the toothache or someone has some chronic pain, whether it's back pain, neck pain, whatever that pain is, we do have a legal obligation to ensure that they are not in pain. And so we do follow the standard of care that is in the community, but we may not necessarily be going you know, quite above and beyond to get the experts to come in.
0: Right. And that's the next thing I was going to ask you. Thank you for segueing into that. Um, Do these guys get six months uh, teeth cleaning? Do they get um, uh, teeth whitening if they want? Are they getting, um, you know, uh, prostate checks like I get when I get whenever I have my physical annually? Is that happening to them? Are they afforded good health care or is it as a as-need basis? People want to know.
4: Right. So um, if there are people, so say, for example, there's a standard of care for like a colonoscopy or something, right? Like the state doesn't want to be responsible for caring for someone long term with colon cancer. So there are some preventive screenings that we will do just to make sure that we aren't long term providing care in that sense we do an assessment and track everyone following the standards of care. And if there is a facility that they are um, accredited by like maybe um, NCCHC or something like that, the National Commission on Correctional Health Care, there are standards that have to be followed to ensure that, you know, no one is being left, you know, off in the lurch, just sick. But no, we're not doing anything cosmetic you know, if someone needs glasses, we try to make sure they have glasses. Um, that's probably the most that we do, unless there's some major medical issue and they have to get some sort of, you know, something to ambulate or something.
0: Right. Thank you so much for that, Connie. And Connie, while I have you here, I'd like to just acknowledge some of the people in the chat. Uh, Lieutenant Pete he just came in with a, a $10 super chat. Our good friend, a retired police officer and now criminal defense attorney, Joe Murray put in a $10 super chat and he put some great accolades for you. And Anthony, he said, great to see you again. Always a pleasure to have you on the duty Ron crime time show. So um, you guys, you remember um, uh, uh, Joe Murray, uh, he was on with you guys at the last time. So thank you for those accolades and uh, Mary, thank you so much for being here in the chat. I wanna say hello to a couple of my fans and folks and friends and subscribers. I appreciate if I missed your super chat, it's because I'm just trying to get the content out there. I'm trying to cover everything that I have. And as you guys can see, I got a whole cheat sheet of notes here, and I'm checking them off as I go through them. Uh, we're going to uh, focus now on some of the comments uh, in the um, in, in our private chat. So I'm going to look at that real quick, and I'm going to add on the folks that were um, here with us initially. Thank you guys for hanging out with um, us backstage. Um, So these are going to be some directed questions, and I'm going to direct them at you guys. I'll throw them at you. Uh, This one's going to be for Keith. Uh, Black Rose says, how would you rate Dodge Maximum Correctional Facility on whatever scale you would rate it? Keith, do you have a rating for that facility? Well, it is a a maximum security
1: facility. It's surrounded by uh, gun towers, fences. Uh, There's Old, old wall that they had when it was a, a, a hospital for the criminally insane. Uh,
6: it, it is a very secure facility. The main movement is extremely controlled. Uh, for example, the unit that he's in will
1: go down to the dining hall. Maybe with one other unit, units 40, 50 any So as far as yeah, the maximum security
0: Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, Black Rose is throwing out like 19 comments, uh, questions here. So I'm going to skip over some of those. But um, here's an actual good one. The second one that she asked is, does I'll ask you this one, Anthony. Uh, Black Rose 11 wants to know, does Chris Watts have friends that are guards, perhaps? Does that happen? Uh, I know you talk about that on your show.
3: Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope to say no because if there's a chance that there's a relationship prior to I mean first off that's one of the reasons probably why he was shipped out of state to eliminate uh, maybe any possible connections. I mean the, the the initial concerns when they go to a jail uh, obviously there's a chance they could have close contacts, but for the officers that are professional, if they have any relationship with that inmate that they feel is a conflict, they are told to submit a report, probably send it to administration and. Uh, Probably the investigative division, and then they should do what they do to accommodate that. So if I have an officer that says, hey, I, I know this inmate, I feel this is going to be a conflict, uh, then you will you limit that contact with that officer. But the other concern is due to manipulation, we're always worried that friendships develop uh, so through, so
0: it through was, interaction. It would be safe to say here that that answer is maybe. Uh, I hate maybe, but I get your point. I get your point. Okay. Thank you for that, Black Rose. And I'm going to ask one more from Black Rose. And if I ask another one, then she's going to have to pay for it. (laughs) She says, uh, and and Keith or Anthony, you can chime in. And, And Connie, if you think you know the answer, you can chime in. Black Rose 11 says, will Chris Watts stay at Dodge Correctional for the rest of his natural born life?
1: You, want to you know, sense? there's a very good possibility that he does so. Uh, Dodge Correctional
0: Institution has many inmates that have been there for 30 and 40 years now. Uh, okay, so for those of you who didn't hear that, Keith just said they have inmates, because your audio is still a little low in my ear and some people are saying in the chat. Um, he said okay. that there's inmates there for 30 and 40 years at Dodge. But
3: the only concern I have with that is they have a compact agreement with another state. If by chance that compact agreement gets terminated, then the state may have to send the inmate back over to Colorado.
0: Okay. Yeah. But
3: at Dodge, we also have an infirmary
1: there, and at that infirmary, we get a lot of inmates that are finishing up their life sentence.
0: What's an infirmary, uh, Keith?
1: It's it's, uh, a hospital, They, they have hospice care, things of that nature, and they take care of the inmates, and a lot of the lifers die at Dodge for
0: Excellence, they bring them over there for that reason. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. All right, we're moving along to Dawn Marie, and this question is for Connie. Holy cannoli. (laughs) Um, So here, Dawn Marie puts in, and she's, like Black Rose, one of my main moderators and wonderful friend of the Duty Run Crime Time family. She says, Connie, when someone like Chris Watts refuses a psych eval, Besides increasing the level of surveillance on him, what else can be done at the facility, especially considering that they're technically liable for the safety, even though he is a cold-blooded murderer? So if he was to, to refuse psych eval, Connie, go ahead.
4: So there's a couple of things that I think could happen or that I've witnessed happen. So one is, yes, they would do continue the, the, the constant watch on him. I think the other thing that I've seen is them get transferred to a higher level of psychiatric treatment. So depending on the level of care that that facility is able to provide, they might, he might actually get transferred out to a higher level of care where that eval would be mandated. So there may be some court proceedings in between there to sort of mandate the psych eval, like he can't refuse Um, and, and really it is to make sure like we're able to manage him. So if, if for some reason we find that we're unable to manage him, there's a possibility of him being taken to a space where they have a higher level of care, but in most facilities, there is an actual psychiatrist present. And particularly I'm assuming in this case, there would be psychiatric, you know, staff available to make sure that this happens. So there's times where they simply just can't refuse.
3: Hey, go. Ron, there one other know. thing, if I may compliment. Remember, he is in Wisconsin, but he's still a Colorado inmate. So, a lot of the things that have to be approved have to be approved by Colorado to be in compliance uh, with whatever the contract is that Colorado
0: expects. Right. So, I would imagine that a lot of that, um, you know, is just basically um conveyed through paperwork and they know okay we have to do this under colorado statutes and blah blah, blah 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 um let's move along to the questions uh trish comes in and she chimes in uh actually dawn marie i have to give her two because i gave black rose a bunch these ladies will start fighting with each other so i gotta do this dawn marie says what is a typical day like for him i think we covered that with uh captain Hellwig, uh retired captain i know he's going to correct me at the end of this don't don't keep calling me captain i'm retired well it's about respect sir um trish norman says does chris watts and others receive any type of psychological therapy when they enter into the system if so is this routine i think we covered that already yes and yes Okay. Yep. Mimi J2, who's another great moderator and great friend of the Duty Run Crime Time family, she says, is there, any, is there a true percentage of inmates that actually lose their minds in jail? This is a great question. I imagine not everyone can handle the stress of being incarcerated. Connie, this is a ground ball up your alley.
4: <laughs> well, listen, um, people mentally decompensate. When they are in prison right you know i think dealing with the realities of not being close to family of not having their freedom of being closed in you name it you know prison isn't a space where you're supposed to be comfortable right and so for many people adjusting to this being their new reality of life especially for life and in this case a life sentence we do see that mental decompensation. We see people needing psychiatric support, all levels of psychotherapy, psychotropic meds. You name it, we see it and we treat it. Wow. Uh,
0: amazing. Great question and great answer, Connie. I, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, here's a question coming in from counsel, Joe Murray, a uh, criminal defense attorney. He's he, I tell you, Joe Murray jumps in. If I gave him the link, he'd come in here and question all of us. Um, <laughs> Joe Murray's question is, I was just informed that one of my clients serving 28 and a half years to life, who is in Bo in his 23rd year, just had a biopsy due to a very high PSA testing, uh, test suspecting prostate cancer. Okay, so I'm not sure what the question is. I was just informed that one of my clients serving 28 and a half years to life, who is Bo. Who is in his who is now in his 23rd year, just had a biopsy due to his high PSA testing, suspecting prostate cancer. What do you think that maybe happened in a, a, a subsequent exam for a complaint of maybe stomach pain or you know, bowel movement or something like that, right? Or irregular bowel movement, and then they could could order that a doctor. I don't know if Joe is thinking about compassionate releases too. Sometimes when you have inmates
3: that are. Uh, diagnosed with something terminal, uh, especially if they're going through hospice, uh, they could put it in for compassion release written by the doctor, phone it up, and usually.
0: Here's the question. You're, you're right on it, Anthony. This is how good you are. So the follow-up, Josh, our producer, is banging out. He's typing out these questions. It says, have inmates successfully uh, used medical for early parole release? Hmm. There it is. <laughs> so that's using the Bill process. Cosby, Bill, Cosby, the... Bill Cosby today.
3: Yeah, yeah, Bill Cosby. Yeah, but a little different case with Bill Cosby. Some dialogue with the prosecutor, but they the doctor would definitely have to uh, put the request in. Um, it'll probably get sent up to administration, be forwarded out, and then they'll make the decision. But the decision also is based on if the inmate is still a threat. Uh, sure. but there's a lot of dialogue that happens sure. when it comes to a capacity release, it's not always automatic.
0: All right, and, and- um, so either you or Keith take this one because Joe paid ten bucks for this question. How do, how long does it take for medical parole? Uh,
3: you wanna you wanna I could go I'm gonna go first Keith or no? Go ahead. Uh, so it depends on the concern of the uh, what the inmate's facing. So uh, you know if you have an inmate that you know is terminal and we're talking about days, I've seen stuff pushed through to get the person out. Uh, if it's a process like maybe they're six months to a year, but maybe they're still functional, it could, it could take that amount of time, but ultimately it's when the person is perceived to no longer be a threat as the clear through uh, medical. So again, it really depends on the situation of the uh, of the inmate, the medical concern, and uh, I think that's a big part of that.
0: Keith, you want to chime in? I say that in Wisconsin, I've seen very
3: few compassionate
1: releases done. Uh, someone like Chris Watts will never get a uh, not only well, is awarded the state of Wisconsin, now if Colorado ordered it, of course the state would have to go along with it, but as far as the state of Wisconsin letting someone uh, who did such a heinous act as Chris Watts has out on a compassionate leave, that's just not going to happen. I've seen numerous people, uh, in fact, in our infirmary that we had
2: at Dodge Correctional Institution, there were a lot of people who were dying of
1: cancer, they were dying of, of many different things. But what people
5: have to realize is a lot
1: of their families have gone on and lived their lives without them. And they really don't want to be burdened
3: for that individual when they get into the final stages of their life as well. Yeah, you know, it's so right. I mean, a lot of it is really cost-effective. I think Connie could comment on that there, where they definitely take into account how much it's going to cost to keep that inmate. So if you have an inmate that is going to be on hospice for long term, and that's going to cost the state some serious amount of money oh, I, I'll guarantee, you know, Clem, um,
4: compassion releases could would be considered. So they definitely will weigh out how, how much that treatment is going to cost <laughs> long-term. You know, we've, we've had people with brain cancer. We had a person, you know, at one point who had like this rare blood, dece- blood disease. I think treatment was like upwards of a million dollars, right? And so we're not going to keep that person in prison, you know, that person will probably be expedited as far as their release goes. So it
0: depends. Not to let let anybody get afraid here, because now, remember, we have uh, a bunch of people in the chat like saying, holy s***, Chris Watts will never get out on early release. He has five life sentences with no chance of parole. What we're talking about is people who have a parole put into their sentence. Okay, so if it says, you know, 25 to life or life in prison without parole, then that person is not going to be afforded that. He will die a slow death uh, from, you know, uh, rectal cancer in jail. This is what I hope for. That's, the, I, that's why I said that. Sorry.
3: And some states don't even allow the inmate to do the, D, uh, the DNR. Uh, because yeah. Don't forget, the inmate is still, uh, the state's in charge of that inmate. So I, I've seen inmates try to do DNRs, and the states are like, you know, we may not be able to honor that. Right. So it, de- it depends on, you know, the
0: state. So I had to, sh- I had to throw that in, and I'm getting some f- people laughing in the chat about the rectal cancer. But, you know what, Chris Watts, if anybody deserves it, and I would never wish that on anybody, uh, he would be one person and that I would wish it on because he is a true, true uh, s- evil sick monster. Let me look at the chat quickly because I, I favored all of the uh, folks who – who took the time to send in uh, uh, questions in my Discord group. So let me say this quickly. If you're not part of my Discord group, please go over and subscribe to All Things Duty Ron, all one word, D-U-T-Y-R-O-N, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and go over to my Facebook YouTube video share group and my police and crime chat group. Send a request to join that and go on to dutyron.com. It's an easy one-stop shop to get all access to everything. Discord. uh, My Discord group is unbelievable because after this live is over, I go into the Discord group and I'm chatting away with everybody. So become a member of my Discord group. It costs nothing. Guys, joining us, everybody, make sure you are abiding by the law because criminal defense attorney Joe Murray is here. Coming remote from his office over in an undisclosed location. I cannot say where Joe Murray is right now, but if you need a criminal defense attorney, go over to Joe Murray, and I have his website on my uh, my website, joemurraylaw.com. Hey, Joe, what's going on, brother? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love when you have these guys
6: on because I have so many questions. I'm really struggling with this one. This is a guy I went to high school with Obviously, he's got 23 years in. I was still a cop when he committed his crime, so I didn't represent him, but I'm I'm trying to help him now. And you mentioned something about compassionate relief or release. What's better to do? Is it medical parole, the better avenue? If he's got this prostate cancer, he's 55. It was his first offense.
3: Unfortunately, it was a murder. And... uh, The compassionate release may override because medical parole is tough. That that's, I mean, they're both, and and I'm sure. Right. Yeah. The, the, the medical parole is tough. I I believe that's going to have more uh, channels to go through. I I would think the compassionate release uh, probably be more successful. Connie, uh,
4: would you agree? The medical parole is hard. Yeah. Medical parole is really hard. Um, I would say, compassionate release is the best because then they don't have to go before a board for that review. That's more of like an administrative decision. Um, And so, you know, yeah, both of them, I don't both of them still, you have to go through the same criteria of evaluation and such to ensure that that person is still not a threat. So, and, and I don't know that unless they've given him like an, an expiration date, I hate to say that, right? That too may be a reason why he may not be granted the medical, other uh, uh, parole or compassionate release for that matter.
0: Connie, let me chime in quickly while you're talking. Trish Norman sends in a $5 super chat. Does medical parole guidelines vary state to state?
4: It may. I'm, I'm almost certain that it does. Okay.
3: Yeah, they, I, I, would, I, I agree with Connie. I believe there's a lot of consistencies in regards to the procedure, uh, you know, panel, one whatever it is. But uh, for the most part, uh, I, I think it even varies case by case, you okay. know, because each thing is uh, literally uh, defined by the individual who's requesting it.
0: I could tell you one thing right now, and I know Joe Murray just a short period of time, but he is a brother in blue and he's a criminal defense attorney. He will be researching this. Yeah. <laughs> About if parole guidelines vary from state to state, and I will have a complete report on my desk in the morning. I know it. Thank you, Joe. Um, Pug sends in a directed $2 super chat and says, Captain, hey, Captain, were you at Bobskill? What, what is that, Bob? Uh, Boscobel? No, uh, Boscobel is a, a Supermax
1: prison. Uh, no, I've never worked at Bell. I worked on transportation teams that took
0: inmates there, but I've never worked there. that. All right, let me look for some more questions from the audience because I want to be fair to everybody. I cleared the grid over on... Um, hold on, let me just make sure. I, th- I think there's another what one. There. Looking? Can I just throw this out there? I want to ask our guys in
6: corrections, have you ever heard of Joe Sanchez? Joe Sanchez, Vietnam vet, Purple Heart, got blown up by a grenade on his 20th birthday. He came back. He joined the Port Authority Police nypd then went to state corrections he was he was involved in seven shootings while he was on the nypd locked up everyone and then he got assigned to sing sing and the guys that he locked up were were looking to do them in over there shank them a few times the guy's incredible he's written four books just curious if you ever heard of him Fantastic! If you just Google
3: it, you'll see him. I'm
0: representing him now on a, a thing involving the NYPD when he was on the job. Have him come on my show, Joe. Right. Right. I, I would love to. If, if you could, <laughs> yeah, have right. All right, let's let's stay focused on Chris Watts here. Okay, let me let me reel this this nightmare. Hold on, you mother. <laughs> um. All right. So, uh, f- a free f- Fryja Dragon sends in a five dollars super chat and says, "Joe Murray, we're putting you to work." Uh, You're on the payroll. Is Chris Watts trying for a 35C? That's to try to get his case dismissed. I say no because I looked into that, and I can say with extreme certainty, that is a no. What's the chances of 35C on five life sentences with no parole? Joe? No,
6: wait, a 35C with no... I missed that. CW is trying for 35C... I don't know what a 35C is. It's, it's it's a it's
0: he's trying to get his sentence um, or or is is he's trying to get uh, or retried or, or you know I, I think the 35C is either throwing out his complete Anthony I don't know if you know about this 35C 54 oh, is he doing like a
6: federal
0: habe or what? Because he's down the pike with I, 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 look, I looked into it, and, and this was just a, a another fake book rumor. Um, so I, I would say no. The answer to that question is no, but we'll look into it. I'll have Joe Murray check out the 35C, and we'll get back to you on that.
6: I'm on it.
0: Um, but I did. I remember I looked into it, and um, it was deemed a, a fake book It's rumor. a PCR
3: to post-conviction release. So it's under – now, mind you, he's going to apply through the state of Colorado, not to Wisconsin. So that's, uh, I don't I don't think he can do that
0: right uh, yeah. away, by the way.
3: Yeah, so I mean, everybody everybody's,
0: got everybody's doing it post-conviction release. It's not happening. This mother will never see the light of day. He's a filthy egg, and he will not get out. But those of you who are thinking that or even talking about it, I would say you're wasting your breath, and you should concentrate your efforts in something more positive. Yeah, if I may, the 35...
3: 35- relates to the due process and not so much the person being guilty or not. What they do is they look for the technicality behind the uh, the investigative process or whatever it is. So it's not really, if you ever get let out on a PCR, it's not because you're not guilty. It's because there was a technicality in the due process. Yeah.
6: yeah. In New York State, we have 440-10, a 440 motion. And a lot of that, as Anthony uh, correctly pointed out, When you have your appeal it's a direct appeal from the conviction meaning the appellate court is looking over the shoulder of the judge at what the judge saw but a lot of times things aren't on the record that happened so in a 440 10 you can bring in outside evidence that the court never looked at to see if there was a due process violation a motor proceedings violation
0: that's not on the record, and that's usually what happens with. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't see this going down. This thirty-five C with him. This is just a pipe dream. Uh, Deanne says, Deanne Courtney says, they don't take too kindly to killing women and children in prison, do they? Keith, Anthony. You know they they don't, but you know the
1: odd thing about it is it's much more accepted in a male institution than it is a female
0: institution.
1: So is, it like a stripe,
0: voting, is it like a stripe? Is it like a is it like a tiger stripe for these for these animals? I hate to use that no, word.
1: No, it's not. But you know, a woman if a woman goes to prison for killing her children, she is really ostracized. If a man goes to prison for killing his children, unfortunately, the attitude among inmates is well, it's just another murder. It's not that big of a deal. to a lot of inmates. Wow. So, you know, they, not, they sexually assaulted the children before they killed them. Things like that. That raises it to a whole another level. But, uh, you know, they, they don't try badly to, to anybody who kills children, but it's, it's a different
3: dynamic in the different institutions. Right. And as Keith mentioned before, sometimes they house similar crimes together, like Chris Watts is housed with someone else who I mean, very hard. But you'll have some inmates that put a lot of it on the facility. Like, you'll we'll have an inmate that says, I don't want to be uh, put with this pedophile. You better get this pedophile out. Or I'm going to do something about it. You know, so the institution has to make a decision because you can't be moving this person around every cell. You know, you don't have an option to pick and choose yourself. But most of the time, I'll be honest with you, uh, I don't think it's as uh, crazy as people may think it is. I mean, sometimes these pedophiles, these sex offenders put themselves in important positions where the inmates wind up needing them because they tend to be smart. They wind up getting jobs in like social service aides, right. uh, paralegals, and the inmates wind up becoming um, obligated to them in some sense.
0: There you go. Hey, let me read this super chat. Comes in from Jennifer Nobles from Bakersfield, California. $5 super chat. She says, This panel is awesome. Much respect to Connie, Anthony, Joe, Keith, and of course, Uncle Duty Ron. <laughs> Uncle <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Duty Ron. So uh, all of my friends and folks that were following the Oren and Orson West case, those are the two boys from California city were three and four at the time. They're now four and going on five, um, and missing, uh, reported allegedly missing from, uh, ba- uh, California city by their adoptive parents, Trazelle and Jacqueline West. Uh, so I am, uh, you know, their boots on the ground over there. Jennifer lives in that community and Roro and all the biological family. I support them through all of the fundage that comes through this channel. Uh, We have supported the digital billboard, which is a huge expense, but it's kind, generous donors from the duty Ron family uh, sending in their donations and five months in a row over $5,000 we've spent on digital billboards and put another $4,000 up for reward money. So we're close to $10,000 in that that case, and Jennifer is an intricate part of it. So thank you, Jennifer Nobles, for your kind words and generosity. Um, Diane is my next-door neighbor across the street. She was just in my living room today poking me in the arm as she's talking to me like an Italian. She's, Ron, poking me, Ron, Ron. And I'm like, get out of my house. Get out. And anyway, <laughs> Connie, I would love to have you as a neighbor. We'd have a lot of drinks together, me and you. Even if you don't drink, I'd force you to. <laughs> you go Bill Cosby? No. no. <laughs> Anthony, I got, I'm going to have to... Just get somebody to drink a drink first. <laughs> Anthony took it to a level that it didn't have to go to. Uh, but anyways, I appreciate the humor. Listen, we have to put humor into this because we're talking about a very serious case here and when you talk about these crime cases as we all know as law enforcement professionals that includes obviously the corrections community we're brothers and sisters in uh in, in law enforcement and we always turn to humor to kind of try to get through these stressful moments so uh that's what it's all about uh jarring with each other back and forth and kind of just talking and talking and talking emily florida great to see you i always say her name wrong it's Flotilia. She's my very first channel member. When I first started channel memberships, she said, I'm joining first. She is my very first channel member. Thank you for your long-term support on this channel. If you're new and first time, please hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, so you will get all things duty wrong when I go live or upload another video. And I want to also invite you to go over to Tear Talk uh, on YouTube and subscribe. I'm going to pull up his channel right now. Uh, So just bear with me because I'm technologically challenged, Uh, but I'm going to do it. I'm pretty good at this stuff. I'm getting better. Um, (laughs) Give me a second. Stop laughing. And here we go. Um, Where is it? Here talk. Come on. Oh, there it is. All right. So here we go. This is the YouTube channel for Anthony. He has a lot of great um, live streams on there. He's got a lot of great guests. Go over and hit that bell like I did. I hit the notification bell. I get all of his notifications. Uh, If he gets to be annoying, you could put none on like that. (laughs) Uh, But right now, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and give it him all. Um, And that's his uh, YouTube channel. And also, guess what, guys? Cops and Corrections. This is our good friend, Captain Keith. This is his YouTube channel. He's only got 782 subscribers. I don't know why the hell he's got that little. So let's bring him over to over a thousand tonight. Everybody go on over and subscribe to cops slash corrections and let's support our brothers and sisters in blue uh, on the correction front. Connie, I'm going to link your book and all of the media for you. Uh, People loved your stuff from the last time. Kelly, thank you for becoming a new member. Guys, remember, these are family members that are going through uh, this process. The victims of these heinous crimes, you need to show respect and give them the dignity and respect that they deserve. Do not talk about these victims and their family members. The Rusek family has been tortured with this Watts case. I only speak about it when I'm giving educational stuff like this. This is a side that everybody wants to know, and we all want to know that Chris Watts is not having a good time in prison. And I can tell you from my professionals that are here, without them actually telling me and saying, yes, he's having a crummy time, I can say, because I can do it, because I'm not in that field, he's having a shit time, <laughs> a real shit time. Uh, it's not one day that he's having a good time there. There is no high-fiving and kumbaya. Uh, It's it's a really difficult place to be, and he deserves, like Connie said. Connie said it the best. You're not supposed to have a good time in prison, right? So that's what we got. I want to thank all my guests, including Joe Murray, who is coming from his office over in Long Island, New York. He's a criminal defense attorney. If you need Joe Murray's services, you can hit him up on his website. I will link that below down in the description. I'm going to also link uh, links to Keith, uh, Sergeant uh, Captain uh, Helwig's web's, um, YouTube channel, and his books. He's got, I think, two or three, right? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I have
1: three books. So, uh, my last one is uh, first, totally nonfiction. It's by officers
0: or bought officers from around the world. Excellent. So, I'm gonna link his books. um, Yeah, I'm gonna link his books all in the description. I'm gonna link everything uh, from Anthony and Connie in down below. Uh, An hour and twenty-two minutes. So again, I lied to my guest. I told Keith (laughs) that he'd be done in forty minutes. I I definitely that's for sure. So um, can I ask one more question? um, Can you send another super chat? (laughs) I'm only kidding. (laughs) Go ahead, brother. Go go. I'm dying
6: because I love your corrections. Uh, panel that, that you have, they're wonderful. Now, if I was to run for mayor, one of the things that Mayor Giuliani did is he merged housing, transit, NYPD. I thought he stopped short of bringing corrections in. I think corrections should be part of the police department. I know corrections has a gang unit, intelligence unit. There is so much valuable information that the NYPD can use and share with corrections on a a more fluid level, if we were merged, Is that something you guys would consider as a positive move, or you want
0: to stay separate? Anthony's going to jump right on this Yeah, I'm
3: jumping on that. By the way, I like you, Joe. I I, I want Ron's community to know that I like you. Uh, Yeah, just get it out there. Hey, so some states, uh, corrections or any law enforcement on the state I work in, our title's actually senior correctional police officers. The merge is great because, one, it allows us to get more funding. Uh, Second thing, it gives more resources uh, to the community at large. And plus, I will tell you guys one thing. uh, No one's better at handling a riot or whatever it is than those in corrections who really know how to, you know, communicate, but more importantly, maneuver. So I think it's a benefit. The only concern I have is I want people to know we're an add-on and not a replacement. I believe there's still... Uh, sometimes there's a divide, sad to say, between police and correction and allowing that to happen. I just wish that they would see us as equals. That's one of the original battles that Keith fights every day. I fight every day. I, I would love to see us accepted. Uh, and then, uh, yes, I think we can add a lot to that, 100%. That, that's a great question. Thanks.
0: Jen Diaz, thank you so much for the $10 super chat. You're keeping us in business. I appreciate that. Um, a lot of great questions coming in from the chat. Um, still 650 people here. So let me just say quickly, um, our guests, uh, Connie, uh, Anthony and Keith, and now Joe Murray, we all, uh, uh, I mean, everybody in the chat has tremendous respect for you guys. And I, I hope that you guys will consider coming back soon uh, on the Duty Ron Crime Time channel. You guys are a really intricate part of uh, making this an educational live stream, and not some, you know, rumors or some kind of speculation and things of that nature. What you're getting here is from a professional corrections perspective, and a professional police perspective, professional medical perspective, and a professional law, um, criminal defense attorney's perspective. So this multifaceted. Uh, parts of the criminal justice system here, and it's all of them. You know, from when handcuffs are put on, and that's why I showed Chris Watts getting put in handcuffs to begin with, and then I showed him being transported. Although that was a mess technologically, uh, but we showed him going to the um, to the central lockup, and then we showed him in court being sentenced, and then we talked about the Dodge Correctional Facility. Um, thank you again, panel, for being here. I hope we could do this again really soon. Anybody have any parting words? Uh, Keith, I'll let you take it if you want. Anything for the folks for Chris Watts and how he's being handled in Dodge Correctional?
1: i just like to reaffirm that Chris Watts is not in a fancy place. They don't get cable TV. They don't have movie night. They don't have a bowling alley. He's in a prison. Uh, probably spends more time in his cell, particularly on weekends, and probably spends 23 hours in his cell. Uh, during the course of a weekday, he has to work. He earns between $9 and $42,000 not a disastrous work, Perhaps more than they deserve. But I can guarantee you that Chris Watts is not having a good time in prison. It's not a pleasant place to be. You know, as an officer, I always told my new officers that an inmate is in prison as punishment, not for punishment. So being in prison is a punishment in and of itself. So as an officer, it's not our job to make their life more visible. We have a job
2: to do, and as
0: simple as that. 23 hours a day locked in a small 10 by 10 or whatever those cells are in that ancient facility that he's in, that's not any walk in the park. So he is definitely you know on lockdown and he's not getting to go out stretch his arms and stretch his legs out and work out and sun in the uh in the rec yard that's not happening so thank you for that keith i appreciate it anthony anything for the troops about chris watts uh, I, I just want to say in general uh uncle ron that's what, you what about chris? Uh, uh i just wait i just want to
3: say your community is phenomenal uh you know i just really enjoyed today's show for chris watts guys don't forget guys lesson corrections uh, our job is to protect that inmate uh make sure that they serve their sentence and uh I think our, our biggest concern is always going to be the media releasing a story without giving any care to how now we have to manage that individual once that story gets released. And again, sometimes it's immediate when it's trending, or sometimes it's later on when they put in for an appeal. And, you know, just when things die down, voila, something magical. Our lifetime picks up a special, and now we're back to scrambling all over again. So, again, good job to all the correctional officers that uh, keep these high-profile inmates safe.
0: Excellent. Thank you for that, Anthony. Connie, anything for the troops about Chris Watts?
4: Listen, um, at the end of the day, he's an inmate like any other inmate, and we're going to treat him just as we would treat any other inmate. You know, we've got policies, procedures, standards. We follow it through and through. And so, you know, I don't believe there's going to be any special accommodations for him. He's an inmate right now, and he would be treated as such.
0: Outstanding. Thank you. Joe Murray, I know you always got great parting words. Uh, anything about Chris Watts? I know you didn't give you much intel on this guy, but yes, no, no, absolutely.
6: I love this community. I love your guests. They are the consummate professionals. They're going to carry out their job. Corrections will do their job and treat him like any other inmate. Be careful what you wish for. Sometimes, and I'll give you a perfect example. Remember, police officer Eddie Byrne, who was executed. was a police officer in 103rd Precinct in Jamaica. He was executed while guarding a witness's house. The guy that murdered him, one of them, while in prison, was injured and uh, filed a civil rights violation and won three hundred and something thousand dollars because of what happened to him. Thank the Lord, back then our legislature, New York State legislature, got together and said, look, we're going to amend the Son of Sam law to allow crime victims, not just because of their notoriety, but any crime victim who's a victim of a beef felony or worse, in this case a murder, we're going to seize their assets and go after it. But my point is, be careful what you wish for. Somebody who is injured, uh, in the course of their their prison, gets a lawyer and files a lawsuit. Now all of a sudden, there are hundreds of that our tax dollars are going to now
0: reward them.
6: Mm. So I think what they said is totally appropriate. He'll be treated like every other inmate, and that's what he should get.
0: Excellent, thank you for that, Joe. And you know what? Anything that you contribute to this live stream and all of our previous ones are an asset to this community because. These are words spoken from a really a person who has been on both sides of the coin. So, Joe Murray, I thank you. And I want to ask you quickly while I have you here. um, Will you come on to talk about the um, the the new indictment on Lori Daybell Vallow? She is now I sent you, I think, uh, a a day or so ago. Will you come on and we'll do you and I a live stream about that soon? That's so interesting. So
6: interesting that they now indicted her for her her ex-husband,
0: the previous ex-husband, that her brother is alleged to have killed. Chad Vallow, yep. So, um, I mean, uh, Charles Vallow. So we are gonna get into that, me and Joe Murray, and I I may bring on uh, um, Bill Cannon as well into that. Let me put myself uh, full screen here while I just give you a quick message. Uh, You guys still hang out in the back there because we'll end it all together. I want to just say this to my true crime community and my content creators. For those of you that are out there uh, that are continually making videos about Chris Watts, please consider stopping doing that. You're causing lots of anxiety for the Rusek family. And it's right now I'm taking this opportunity to take the stage and say, I beg of you guys to stop talking about the crime and stop talking about possible potential twists to this crime perpetrator is in jail, and sentenced. the case is over. So for those of you who are continually uh, creating an an environment of continued stress for the Rusek family, Mama Rusek, or uh, Frank Senior and Frank Jr, I beg of you guys to stop doing it, because you're causing these people a lot of undue stress. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And I hope that people do consider listening to what I have to say. Guys, uh, Connie, Anthony, Keith, uh, and Joe, thank you for joining. Uh, As I always say on all of my live streams, God bless the world. God bless the United States of America. And God bless each and every one of us here in the chat. All victims of crime and their families across the globe. Good night from New York City. And thank you again, guests, for being here.